Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Welcome. You are listening to the Search Dog Podcast, produced by the National Search Dog Alliance, a not-for-profit membership organization whose mission is to provide education, certifications, and a voice in the future of search and rescue canines. I'm your host, Eva Briggs. You can contact me with feedback, questions, and suggestions by emailing podcast at n-sta.org. That's podcast at n-sta.org. And you can learn more about our organization by visiting our website, www.n-sda.org. Welcome to the Search Dog Podcast number 29 for April 15, 2015. Today I'm interviewing Julie Lathrop. She's a retired Chemung County Deputy Sheriff. Chemung County is located in the southern tier of New York State. That's the rural part of the state, not the city. Julie is going to tell us about the Kramer Foundation. It's an organization she founded to help make the world a better place for kids and dogs. Today I've got with me Julie Lathrop of the Kramer Foundation. And first I'm gonna let Julie introduce herself and tell you a little bit about herself. I am Julie Lathrop from the Kramer Foundation and uh... The Kramer Foundation is named after the original Rottweiler that I used. I was with the Chemung County Sheriff's Department and I had bid for a school resource officer job in a local middle school where the relationship with law enforcement and kids was not really high um, and actually very strange. So I simply asked if I could bring my big Rottweiler in to make me more approachable to the kids in the middle school age. How long ago was this? This was in 1999 I started, and uh, we found out really, really quickly that the kids would do anything, anything at all for the dog. Mm -hmm. And uh, Kramer was about 150-pound Roddy of just 150 pounds of nothing but heart and slobber. And uh, the kids would fight over getting uh, good grades and, and doing good behavior in order to be able to spend some time with him. And so you ended up naming the foundation after him, and you used his name as an acronym. So can you tell me what what the letters stand for? What does that mean? Yes, the captain, when I went to him with this program and we started actually making it official, wanted something that would keep Kramer's legacy forever. So no matter whatever happened with the programs, and uh, certainly he's since passed, they would remember him forever. And since we were in the school for most of that, uh, we came up with the acronym of Canines representing alternative modern educational resources. So Kramer lives still in in uh, the schools. And what year again did you say you started? We started in 1999, and then we became an official not-for-profit in 2001 or two, 2002, I believe. Can you tell me a little bit about how the school program works? It we actually. Wherever there was a need or something popped up, something somebody was having a problem, they had something that they needed to get through to the kids, we actually created programs as the needs arose. 
Um, so we have everything from reading programs, which were our really big ones, behavior modification, um, grade improvement challenges, attendance challenges, and each goal that the kids met or each um, contest that they won, they got to have time with the dogs. And we did everything from the, the, ha the schools were divided into houses, so to speak, and each one was represented by a color. So if we had house challenges, then on Monday, they would know who won the house challenge because we would bring the dogs in dressed in their colored t-shirts. <laughs> That's pretty <laughs> cool. And, um, and then um, I understand you have an after-school program. And what was the genesis that made you decide to start that? Well, the after-school program actually came about when we had, we found that there were so many kids that were out on the streets making own decisions, which at that age are not really wise decisions. Um, from the time that school let out until the time that parents got home from work, there was a couple hour gap in most cases where the kids were just on their own. And many of them came from uh, backgrounds that were out there that were uh, involved already in law enforcement and the juvenile system. And so we started programs that were aimed originally at the kids that were already labeled at risk, so to speak, which means they were already in the system. Many of them looking to be placed in juvenile detention facilities uh, and some of them in our local uh, youth homes. And so we started, uh, one of the biggest things we started after there was an anger management class. Um, that was a lot of the kids' problems is their short-tempered and their aggressive uh, mannerisms. So we started a program and found out we didn't have enough dogs for the kids that were in there. And uh, so we started teaming with the local SPCA and twice a week they would bring dogs for the kids to work with. The first hour would be classroom time with the probation officers with uh, anger management. <laughs> and then the second hour would be matched with dogs that were going to be euthanized in the local shelter. And uh, we matched them and we, while we were teaching the kids how to buffer their behavior and how to read body language and how to control their body language and let them know what signals they were setting off, how to block all of that. While we were teaching them how to do the dogs, they were actually learning to do the same things with themselves. And then how do the kids wind up in the program? How were they referred by teachers, by themselves? Who's eligible? Well, it started out being a referral by teachers and by probation as well. And uh, we found that I just didn't want to hit kids that were already in the system. To me, every child in America is at risk because there's just too much out there pulling at them and uh, too many things that can go bad. So we made it a voluntary sign up. And uh, the first year that we did it, we ended up with 80 kids on the waiting list at the end of the school year. Wow. And that's pretty basically how it went for the next several years. And which school district was this? This was the Elmira City School District based out of Broadway Middle School. Um, and then because the program was so successful, they teamed in the, the district, bust kids in from other schools to the after school program. And do you still only work with middle schoolers, or what age kids do you no, work with? No, we actually worry, we, we work with our dogs from uh, actually preschool daycare centers. We do reading programs and word color recognition, and the kids learn <laughs> how to stand up in front of everybody and talk and stuff because they aren't talking to the kids, they're talking to the dog. And uh, it just kind of starts right away building self-esteem and, and improves their reading skills and their desire to learn. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we go all the way from programs through there on character education, bully proofing, and that kind of stuff, all the way up through some of the high school programs. Where did the dogs come from that participate in the program? The dogs come from the local shelter. 
Um, I've got some that I have. Uh, I, we actually did a couple of Kramer litters uh, many, many years ago. I actually stopped breeding the Rottweilers because of the fact that there are so many in shelters. Um, but for a long time, the in-school programs were dogs from my house and ones we had either adopted from the shelter, made permanent residence, or bred for the programs. And uh, the after-school programs came all from shelters. What happens to the dogs after the program's over? They actually are all adopted. Um, when the kids come into it, they are assigned a dog until that dog is adopted. And then when that dog's adopted, they get assigned a new dog. But each child stays with that one, and they're responsible for all of their behaviors and all of their training until they get adopted. In just the after-school program alone, we had 279 dogs that were uh, that went through there that had been labeled and and destined for euthanasia and uh, the kids were 100 percent successful every one of them got adopted wow that's pretty impressive and overall how many dogs do you think have participated through the kramer foundation programs well we started fostering dogs that needed a little more one-on-one -on -one and a little bit more attention on their off times other than just two days a week because we found that those two days they did really really well and then they'd go back to just those kennels you know and not enough staff to work and not enough places to keep the training going so we started fostering some of the harder ones that really it would be their only chance. And uh, to date, we've taken in our 855th foster at the foundation. And then with dogs that we've worked with other than that through there, it's well over a thousand dogs. And the fosters, they're at your house, correct? They are. And how many at any one time do you have? I uh, usually average anywhere between 35 and 50. I always say I've got to get down during the winter because uh, I don't have real proper facilities for that. So my garage, I've got a three-car garage that hasn't seen a car, a uh, tractor, or a lawnmower in years. Um, are set up with six-foot-high kennels out there. My back porch is converted to a crate room. I've got raised floors with crates down in the basement. It's a finished basement, and uh, you know we've just raised the floor up so they've got something other than concrete. Um, so they stay there uh, year round and, and uh, I'd like to say that I get down in numbers for the winter. I always swear I'm going to, but right now I'm at 36. I'm going to pause the recorded interview to tell you about the dog Julie found for my son and daughter-in-law seven years ago. At the time, they were living in New York City. They wanted a medium-sized, short-haired dog. The dog had to be housebroken, quiet, and not destructive, but young enough to be around for a long time. Julie found a sad-eyed hound dog mix at the Horsehead's animal shelter. Zazu, as she was eventually named, was a refugee from a puppy mill. She obviously had recently had a litter of puppies. She was emaciated, infested with fleas, and her feet were cut and infected from living in a wire cage. The shelter spayed her and fixed her medical problems. Julie fostered her in her own house for two weeks and pronounced her a suitable match. She was the perfect dog for Dan and Amy. She went from a puppy mill to a Manhattan high-rise and ultimately to a big house with a fenced yard in Michigan. It was a real rags-to-riches story. Sadly, she developed spleen cancer in the fall of 2014 and died just after Thanksgiving. But stay tuned for a future podcast in which I plan to interview Dr. John Berg. He's a veterinary surgeon from Tufts. He'll be talking about spleen tumors, one of the most common canine tumors. And now, back to Julie. And I know your background is as a sheriff's deputy, and you mentioned on your website that you've used the dogs to help children 
who've been victims of or witnessed crimes. How does that work? We actually use the dogs in interview with young uh, abuse victims. Um, whether they were victims of abuse or witnesses to crimes, they really don't want to open up and tell. They're scared to tell people. A lot of times they've been told not to tell people. So far, and I'm hoping they don't catch on to this, nobody's ever told them don't talk to the dog. <laughs> so it gives the kids a relaxing thing to do and they cry on them and they, you know, squish their hair and pull their hair as they talk to them. But it's easier for them to reveal what happened to them to the dog. So we use them in the interview process. And how do you fund the Kramer Foundation? It's strictly on donations and grants. And uh, back when I was working before I got injured, it was uh, a lot of overtime. How many hours a week do you think you devote to the whole program? How many hours in the week are there? It's, uh, <laughs> it really is about 20 hours a day at least devoted to the program between maintaining, cleaning, feeding, travel programs, and that kind of stuff. I'm uh, pretty happy to get three or four hours of sleep a night. I know another part of the program is that you train some dogs for search and rescue work and for scent detection work. How does that work? Well, we found out that a lot of the dogs that are in there and scheduled for euthanasia are dogs that are really just bred to work. They're really high drive and uh, crazy energy, and they were the product or the victim of, I should say, of a instant uh, spontaneous purchase of that cute little puppy. And uh, they weren't ready for, families weren't ready for the amount of energy and what it took to have a dog that has really good drive like that. Um, so they ended up being created or tied out backyard until they became a really big pain and barking and the neighbors complained and then they get dumped at the shelter. Um, and then being confined even more in the shelter brings out those crazy behaviors even more, which then start turning to aggression. So when people walk in and a dog is jumping and leaping four feet in the air and biting at the front of his kennel, it's not something they're going to take home. And then, so how do you decide which dogs, you, you see a dog like that and you bring it in as a foster, how do you evaluate the dog to decide whether it's going to work as a working dog? Um, we started as you would with with anything puppy that you might have purchased or a dog that you've purchased for this kind of stuff, we see whether that's just really just stupid energy that needs to be uh, kind of pushed in a direction or whether it's really drive. So we test them for um, looking for the balls, chasing the ball, how do they do, you know, looking for their toys, looking if you throw food somewhere, we do, you know, all kinds of different things with them. Um, we've had dogs that we've brought in that we've done sheep herding, tracking, obedience, agility, mm -hmm. narcotics, you know, everything all with the same dog. And then we let them decide what direction they want to go. The good thing about having them in foster care and working them like that is the agencies who are trying to take dogs out of the shelters. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes we'll get a dog like that and it ends up being just really crazy energy and they don't want to work. So now they've invested time and money into a dog that's not going to work for them. So while they're in foster care, we make sure that they're going to work for what the agency's looking for, and then uh, we donate them. So what age dogs do you consider for working homes? Most of the time, the agencies want the dog in their hands by a year and a half to two years old. But because we start them all, mm -hmm. um, and a lot of times, the longer they're in, we continue keeping them. So a dog that may come in at two years old to us, but has really, really great working potential, We'll start them that way and we'll get them to the point where they're almost ready to certify. Mm -hmm. um, and then agencies will take them up to three years old like that. We've actually placed one or two a little bit older because they're so ready and they're already working and they're proven and they're free. And so what sort of agencies have you um, 
paired with dogs? Everything from search and rescue in California to uh, law enforcement in Virginia, North Carolina, New York, sheriff's departments, little tiny little police departments, college departments, um, anybody who's looking for a real solid dog and usually don't have a lot of money to invest, you know, mm -hmm. spend $10,000 on a dog that comes in and, you know, hasn't had that kind of training. So can you give me an example of a, one of your success stories? Um, one of our greatest successes, um, I think, was one of our first ones, and it really is the one that, that catapulted us into really looking at making these working dogs. And that was a uh, four-time return to the shelter, a little chocolate lab uh, that just was really crazy, crazy energy, but also crazy drive. His name started out as Duncan. He ended up turning to Snickers. But he is a working bomb dog in Brazil right now. He started out, we donated him to a Canadian agency. Um, to be part of their bomb dog contingent worked at Pan Am Games many years ago. And uh, we knew he was going to stay over there in Brazil and be a part of their government bomb dog squad. That's pretty amazing. And Julie is a member of the search team that I belong to, the Tompkins County Search and Rescue Team. And she's got three dogs that she works with on our team. And I think at least a couple of them came through the Kramer Foundation. Can you tell us about your own personal dogs? Yes, um, actually, three of the four would have been, except one of them, the one that came from the Chemung County SBCA, uh, actually was on his way to being a really nice little air scent dog, but decided he really loved the kids' programs. So he currently is uh, tied up most of the time. Uh, in fact, yesterday he worked for four hours at a book fair and, and elementary school reading program. Um, our, the shepherd, my little shepherd, we got her just over a year old out of the Binghamton shelter. She was part of the Binghamton BOCES uh, Behavioral Science Unit, and uh, she does tracking human remains and uh, has been crime scene, HRD advanced, and tracking certified through Iguata for six of her about seven years that I've had her. And uh, we have a uh, red bone coonhound, my big male, who is uh, from a five-day hold and kill, and uh, he does track. And I know you do a lot of this work yourself. Does anybody help you? Um, I actually have at home, it's me, uh, with help from my sisters for the cleaning and, and uh, you know, moving stuff around when they can. But uh, as far as working the dogs, I have uh, a woman who is my right hand, left hand, and usually most of my brain. That's Cheryl Runyon is my training partner from uh, Dog is Good Dog Training. How about if somebody's listening to this podcast and they're looking for a dog for search and rescue work or for some other sort of you know, detection work, how can they contact you? And They can, and we have a variety of dogs in all the time. And when I mention Cheryl, I'll tell you that she usually fosters anywhere from one to three or four if we can you know, hide them in the corner where her husband doesn't see um, and she does a lot of the last, the really specific work, the real detailed work and stuff, um, because I have so many up there, I get the foundation on them and then they go there, a dog that's ready to go out, um, whether it's to a department or whether it's to just a regular family home, um, they learn how to be in a real house and how to be in real life down there. So I'll give you both of our contact information. The best way to reach us is actually through email. Um, and you can reach me at Kramer Foundation, that's K-R-A-M-E-R Foundation at AOL.com. And you can reach Cheryl Runyon at J Runyon, that's R-U-N-Y-A-N 
at stny.rr.com. Well, thank you. And I know you've got a website, which I think is a little bit not updated because you've been busy with all the other stuff. And Julie made me promise not to read on the air, but you can look at the website and see a partial listing of all the awards she's won over the years and accolades. And I want to thank you for agreeing to be interviewed for the podcast. Thank you very much. And my hope for maybe some of this is uh, to give an outlet for some more of these dogs to be going to some nice working homes and some good families. Thanks again. Thank you. That's it for today's show. You can find the Kramer Foundation website at thekramerfoundation.org. Remember, Kramer is spelled K-R-A-M-E-R. Or you can visit their Facebook page. You can reach Julie via email at kramerfoundation at aol.com. Or you can email her partner, Cheryl Runyon of Dog is Good Training at jrunyon at stn.rr.com. That's J-R-U-N-Y-A-N at S-T-N-Y as in Southern Tier New York dot R-R as in roadrunner.com. Do you have questions for our speaker that you would like answered on next month's podcast? Please email your questions, feedback, suggestions, and comments to me, Eva Briggs, at podcast at n-sda.org. And please come back next month for the next podcast in the series. Thanks for listening. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.